Um, good morning, everybody. Um, sometimes when we do sermons, Dave gives us quite a tricky passage or things to talk about. I, if, I, if I got it right, today's one is, is moderately straightforward. So that was a relief. Um, <laughs> alternatively, you might find that you uh, things that I say you want, actually, I do want to, as Claire said, you know, grill me a bit more deeply on Tuesday. So go for it. I may not have the answers, but you're welcome to try and ask the questions. Um, so we're going to look at Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, um, verses 1 to 11, and we'll read that passage in a bit. And it came with the title I was given from Dave was, uh, What Are We Living For? That was it as my starting point. And in my role as a teacher, primary school teacher, one of the things I have to teach is um, PRE. Now, you might be used to RE at, you had at school. Now we call it PRE because we throw in a whole module on philosophy. So a question like, what are we living for, to me, is like, it's one of those philosophical kind of questions. Um, it, it sort of brings up things like, sort of, oh, why am I here? You know, what's the point in life? Am I of any worth? What's my purpose? Um, and if you're not careful, I found that it can get to a bit point where you start to look at those questions and you do a bit of navel gazing. You look at yourself. Um, I removed a slide that I tried to have of a navel. I thought that was a bit inappropriate. Um, <laughs> I tried doing all sorts of things like making it black and white. No, no, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> but sometimes we do this navel gazing. We get these negative thoughts. Or I do anyway. I can very quickly think about the things I'm not good at and not successful at. Um, and if we go back to Dave's first bit of the talk th- a couple of weeks ago, he talked about us trying to give ourselves a bit of a spiritual MOT, taking the time to think about where we are and where we're going. There are certain things I know when I do that, I think I really don't like to. I am not comfortable public speaking. I'm not comfortable standing and being in front of a bunch of people doing a sermon. I sometimes have to, and I give it my best shot. I'm very much more an introverted person. My children, if you ask them, will tell you at home. I'm not a big socialite. I don't go out, and I'm not great at conversations with loads of people. I'm much more of a quiet person at home. So I know I have some strengths and I have some weaknesses. There's definitely, when Dave gave that idea of being a celebrity influencer, there is no way I want to become a celebrity influencer. I am pretty certain that God has got a plan for my life that doesn't involve me starting a YouTube channel. Uh, phew. Uh, but, um, no, when I think about my spiritual journey, I may not want to be a superstar on a stage. I may not be wanting to be one of those people that's leading a venue at Spree when we take all those young children there. But I do want to make sure that my spiritual growth is continuing, that I am sort of moving forwards in my life, that I'm not stuck still. I want to still be challenged, but my approach is more of a sort of a, a 20 mile an hour approach where I just want to get there slowly, steadily, safely, and you know, moderately, sensibly. And I, I hope that's not a bad thing. I'm just not going to go 100 miles an hour and then crash. I Hopefully I can just steadily progress as I go through life. Um, so I rephrased Dave's um, question for today. Instead of what are we living for, I had a much longer title. I decided to go for um, do I know what God's purpose is in for my life and how do I grow and move forwards with him? Um, nice and succinct, as you see. So, um, so I'm going to be a little bit introspective at the moment. I'm going to look at myself answering this question. But I thought primarily 
What do I do? I want to live a life that is pleasing to God. I have taken a choice in my life to put my trust in him completely. I've not just become a Christian. Here's my English thinking. I'm not a noun. I'm not a thing you put on the shelf. I don't say I am a Christian. I am an object that goes on the shelf. I think of myself more like a verb. I am a Christian as in a doing thing. I am living out my life daily, and that changes. It's not a static thing. There's this sense of it being sort of a, is it the present perfect, the ongoing, continuous thing? I'm not very good at teaching grammar, even though I teach at a grammar school and I teach English, but there we go. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, there, there is this ongoing thing where... I mean, theologically, it involves big terms like consecration and holiness and submission and obedience and sanctification. And um, if, if there's a passage in Leviticus, there we go, that, that has all of those things as advice on how we should live. Now, consecrate yourself before the Lord. Be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes, that's a good word, um, and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, I'm not a theologian. I'm not great with big, complicated theological words. So I might come back to sanctification, but I'm going to sort of push on past that. I, um, I prefer somebody like, um, say, Pete Gregg. And I like reading his Lexico 365 devotions in the morning. I find that um, it helps me to start my day by just sort of planting myself with, with God and saying, what have you got planned for my day ahead? What can I walk with you day by day? I'm not trying to think about, okay, am I sanctified? Am I holy? Am I going out into the world today? I'm thinking practically, what's God going to do with me today? Um, But don't get the wrong impression. I don't start the day with this lovely polished halo that I go out with. Uh, In fact, I get to the end of some days and I lie down in bed. I think, that was a shocker, you know. I got that wrong, I said that wrong, I upset that person, I'm going to have to apologize in the morning about that person. I really shouldn't have sent that email. Um, But then there are days where I come back and go, that was amazing. God put this person in my life and this happened. I had that conversation about faith with somebody and it was just awesome and I had an amazing time with God. But to be honest, most of the time, most days are fairly more mundane and more straightforward. They're not all real highs and all real lows. And you have to run that as you go through your week, don't you? I do prefer to try and have a more humble approach through life. I try to put my trust in God first. I try not to do things in my own strength, because I know I'm pretty useless at that. Um, But I try to rely on God to provide for me. Um, Rick Warren does a very good book. which How many of you have actually read A Purpose Driven Life? Quite quite a lot. If you haven't, I mean, it sold millions of copies. It's a brilliant book. It's about three quid on Amazon if you want to still read it. Um, it's, it's really got some valuable, practical, day-to-day reasons for how we live our life. But there you are. I've set out my stall. I said where I'm coming from. That's my introspective kind of bit for today. Um, but I'm hoping as we look at Thessalonians, you're going to start to think about maybe how this applies to you and your life but also how it applies to us as a church. I mean, the book of Thessalonians was was sent to a church community, not to an individual. So bear that in mind, please, as we go through. So we've got this situation in Thessalonians where Paul has visited them. He's going away. He's reporting back on what it's like. He had to run away um, because he was almost mobbed and had to escape in the night. Um, But he knows 
the Thessalonians are doing really, really well. And so his letter is a lovely one because it's full of encouragement for them. Um, now, going back to the teacher role, one of the things I have to do as a teacher, I have to write end-of-year reports. It takes weeks. It takes all of my half-term holidays sat there keyboarding all these results. And there are plenty of teachers in the room here who know what it's like. Because you're trying to think of all the children individually, you know, trying to craft something that makes sense, but is also sort of politically correct. It's, it's, you can't be entirely honest, but you need to hint at what you want to say. Otherwise, you immediately get the parents coming back in and going, so why did you say about this about my child? And you have to try and put a positive spin on everything. So um, I, I pulled up, go for the next one, um, some examples of, as proofreading reports, these are the sort of things that I have occasionally seen. Um, see if you can work out what the teacher might be trying to get you to read between the lines. Ge these are, most of these are genuine ones that I have read teachers put in reports. Uh, any contact with the ball is purely coincidental. That was a, a, a cricket report. Um, he has been improving his skills by cutting the wood into smaller and smaller pieces. His target is to learn how to measure first. This was a child who was trying to build a big bridge. Everybody else in the class at the end of the project had these amazing bridges. They had a pile of small pieces of wood. But they'd had fun doing it. Um, uh, he has a gift for public speaking and always has something to share. Won't shut up. Uh, she's good at seeking advice from her peers as to what her homework was. Never does her homework. Um, he's good at initiating frequent movement breaks. Can't get him to stay sat down. Always on the move. Um, she loves the experimental approach to practical science lesson. Her target is also to try and record some results. Yeah, we can picture what that child's like, can't we? Yes. Uh, he shows a keen interest in peer evaluating the work of others. The key thing is to also try and complete some of his own work. That child is constantly trying to be looking at everybody else's work but never actually gets anything written down. So I thought I would have a go at taking the lesson from um, this passage from Thessalonians and turning it into a school report. So um, for the sake of the Thessalonian families, I have called her Thess. Um, but see if you can recognize any of the characteristics that Paul is bringing out. Form tutor report. Overall, Thess has made great progress. She's listened well to the advice given. In class, she is calm and quiet. She takes her time to consider and respond to questions. She has a great attitude to learning and a positive work ethic. She makes the best use of the time available to her. In her PSHE, we learnt about how to be good to ourselves, to think positively. We also discussed how to keep ourselves healthy by looking after our bodies and how to care for others and show them respect. In our PRE lessons, Thess has been comfortable sharing her faith and it is clear that this means a lot to her. I am pleased to say that Thess has avoided any gossip. She has a strong sense of justice. She's not a bystander but stands up for what is right, supporting her friends and peers alike. She works extremely well with others, listening to their views and responding appropriately. As a result, she has earned the respect of her peers, who clearly look up to her. She is a great role model. I am certain she will go far in life with this superb attitude. Keep it up, Thess. So it's a, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? But um, most of what's in that report, I was drawing from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and how they are. I mean, it's great. It's a really positive, encouraging report. 
But I have to warn you, in this bit of passage we're about to do, um, Paul has more of a, um, an 18 certificate side to things that perhaps you wouldn't put in a child's report. Um, he talks a lot about sex and relationships in it. And um, it's clearly at the wider Thessalonian community not the Thessalonian church, has some serious issues that need addressing. The Thessalonian church probably should be proactive in trying to sort out or, or advise on. I'm not going to go into depth on any of that, and there are no graphic pictures, don't worry. It's just an 18 sign. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go into Thessalonians 4, and we're going to read it. Um, if you're up for it, I thought we could actually read the passage together. I've tried to make it big enough so that we can see it. Do you reckon you can read that with me? Okay, let's read it together. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we are instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we give, for by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Oh, and last bit. Um, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It's a nice passage um, with some praise and support in there. So I'm going to go through. There are actually, I'll do these quite quickly, I hope, but there are six things that I'm going to pull out that Paul says. Number one, mind your own business. Uh, Gossip, we know, I'm sure you know, can be really hurtful. It damages people. Um, it spreads like wildfire, burning indiscriminately. And in our new modern social media-fueled world, we can instantly defame, say horrible things, or, or, or read things that are really unkind and unpleasant about somebody, which we may not actually have any foundation to. It's just somebody's put it out there, and it's been repeated, and bang, it's gone, and it multiplies. And it's all we have to teach children to be so careful in school to just go like to something like that. Because actually, if you're liking somebody being um, unpleasant and unkind, that's actually a reflection slightly on you and your attitude because you've liked it. 
Now, sometimes people do horrible things and we think, actually, I think that is bad. But I think we should be careful and think twice about what we like and what we don't like. I mean, if I see a Facebook from Hands at Work, a Facebook post about the amazing stuff they're doing, bang, there, I'm gone. I'm, I'm liking those regularly because I think it's fantastic. I want to support what they're doing. But maybe I think twice about somebody who's having a real gripe or a moan until I know a bit more myself. So beware of gossip. Um, but also, on the other side, we can switch that around from sort of, instead of gossiping, I, I start to think, how good am I at praising the good that people do do? How am I good at, so good at showing a positive interest and going, fantastic, well done, you know, celebrating that, sharing the good things that others are doing as well? We have a real powerful place in our communities that where we can do that. We can share the great stuff that's going on. Number two is the sexual immorality one. It goes about control your own body. Inherently, we all have desires, Im impulses, that if we don't check them, if we don't be mindful of them, they can not only cause harm to ourselves, but very easily harm those around us. Paul urges us to build self-control into our lives. Now, I have a beautiful wife, Kath. I'm a married man. There are certain things that loving my wife automatically puts those boundaries in place that makes it easier for me. But I still have to be mindful about my mind, my thought processes, what I look at, what I listen to. Because if I don't put those boundaries in place, you know, how easy it is to go and watch a film that's an 18 certificate or whatever, or just watch a clip online of something that's inappropriate or read something. And you can just go very easily be drawn away. So I have to put those boundaries in and be quite strict with myself, going, no, I don't want to see that. I don't want to look at that. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 4, I mean, it very clearly says that the important thing for me is I have to stay faithful to my partner, to my wife. I have to exercise that control. I can't sort of, even if I think it's not going to affect anybody else, it's just a picture on the screen. I can't indulge those kind of things because consequences of that will work out. It becomes easier and easier to act immorally and to do things that are wrong because you normalize it. I don't want to be acting out of a place of lust or desire. And it's, I'm reminded though of King David because he was amazing. He was used by God even though he had lustful desires and then ended up murdering somebody and taking his wife and it was horrendous. But he's still in the Bible. He's still somebody we look up to who spiritually God used. So I know it doesn't exclude you from God's place. There's still forgiveness and God can still use us. But I don't want to go down there. I don't want to end up like that. I mean, perhaps David's position where he had just so much ultimate authority, he could do whatever he wanted, nobody had any checks and balances, was a really dangerous place for him. And as leaders, I think it's really important that leaders in our church should be held accountable to others. We should have people keeping an eye on us. We should have our people knowing what's going on in our personal lives close friends who can check on us and have those conversations with us and go, actually, is everything okay at the moment? We don't want morality police, though. Right? I'm not saying I am now commissioning you all here to go out and be the morality police of the church and to start, you know, challenging people. It comes through relationship. It comes through when you build relationship, you know somebody and you walk with them and you can go, I oh, know, how do you feel about this at the moment? How's that helping you? How's it positive? 
If you do want to go into it in more depth, I haven't got time. You could do a whole series, a whole talk on it. Woodlands Church has got two um, videos on there of sermons which go into sex and relationships in quite a lot of detail. So if you if you want to have a little look at any of those before next Tuesday, then, then please do. Um, I'm not going to delve any deeper than that today. Number three is to do with working with your hands. Now, I like this one because um, it says in Thessalonians 2, it says, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Inherently, I am a practical person. I like working with my hands. I like doing stuff. When we went to Spree, some of the team were amazing at going with the children, sitting within their groups, playing with them, having a lovely time, building those things. I am better at being the person in camp who does the washing up, the cleaning, the tidying, the picking up the litter, sorting out the tents, doing the guy ropes, you know, that kind of thing. Staying up to one in the morning, making sure they've gone to bed, you know, the practical side of things. is That's my natural comfortable place. So I did a lot of that. So working with my hands, I get and fortunately, I, I've never had to worry about having idle hands leading me astray because I've never idle. I'm always working and doing something. It's just God's built that into my character. But here, the, the Thessalonians are being encouraged to work with their hands, to not just sit back and expect stuff to be given to them, but to know they have to work for their living. And they've got to do that well in their workplaces. And as a church, I think you've got to be careful that um, we know that we don't earn our favor in God through good works. That's a dangerous place to go where you have to try and achieve God's love through working and doing good stuff. God doesn't work like that, but God does have good works that he has planned for us to join him in. So we have to look for those opportunities. A bit like the single parents fair is an example of there is a good work that God has set out. He's structured it all. We can very easily just put our name on the list and join in with it. We don't, it doesn't rely on our, necessarily our natural skills and abilities. We don't have to go, look at me, I'm doing the single parents fair. You know, it's, it's in humility we can say, yeah, let's support, get behind that, support what God is doing here. I want to be part of what my community is doing. I want to be part of that outreach. I want to go to Spree next year and be on the team. Can I, can I come and help in some way? Now, we want our church, we are, I, think, I think we are a church that is evangelical. And I use that with a small e, not a big e, before you start worrying about conservative evangelical churches. We're evangelical with a small e in terms of we want to go out into our community and spread the gospel. We don't want it to be about what happens in this room on its own in isolation. We want it to be what we're going outside to do. And we expect God to help us in that and where we go. Number four is um, making sure we win the respect of others. This is each of us in our daily lives. Wherever we are, we are encouraged to win the respect of others. And they're, they're doing it, and it's being noticed. When we have a church and a lifestyle that's transparent, that people see and we talk about our everyday lives and what God makes a difference in our lives, then people go, wow. That's really interesting. That's a different way of living, perhaps. We don't necessarily get it always, always get it right. I make mistakes and I have to apologize. I have those bad days. But hopefully, over time, I earn the respect of other people. It takes time to earn respect. It takes time to build trust. You can't just do it in the moment. You have to be doing that as a way you live your life. 
And through that, then, the gospel is spread. And Paul, there is a warning in there about making sure we don't do it out of pride and boastfulness. And there are plenty of passages in the Bible that warn us about that, that we should be doing it through humility. Yeah, 1 Timothy, here we go. 1 Timothy 3 says, We must have a good reputation with outsiders so that we will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I mean, that's to do with choosing leaders, but I think it's just about it's applicable to us and how we are used by God. And in Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So I hope that's something that I strive towards, is to be humble in what I do and how I share. Number five is being sanctified. I told you I'd get to the theological words. Uh, so um, sanctification, okay, you know, a sanctuary is a safe place. It's a refuge. It's a place where you're free from persecution, which is interesting considering that it was written to a community who was being persecuted. But it's not about just finding that place of refuge. Um, being sanctified is a transformational process that the Holy Spirit does in us. So we choose to be a place where God can come and we can become sanctified. And it's an ongoing, continuous process. Hebrews 10.10 10 tells us that followers of Christ, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We've received that. We're in a safe place in the knowledge that God loves us. He's given his son so that we can be saved. We have a joy in coming to understand and know him. We're not left broken and ashamed by our mistakes. We know that through forgiveness and his grace, he works with us, gently transforms our lives. We become more like him step by step. It takes our own willingness to change, though, and it comes with our trust and our faith in God. So as a church, we have a role to play in this if we're going to be looking to be sanctified or to be a place that's sanctified. That might be through listening to the talks. It might be through ministry that happens. It might be through discipleship, home groups, prayer partners, just a trusted companionship within the church. And through those relationships and that trust in God, then the Holy Spirit then comes through each of us and we minister to each other and we learn and we grow and we become sanctified as an ongoing thing. Number six and my final point. Finally, Paul's biggest encouragement is to them is to say, you're amazing at loving each other as a community. Well done. Throughout Macedonia, you're doing it with the church community, with your brothers and sisters but just do this more and more. Great term, keep it up, kind of thing. So we have a part to play in loving each other, in the way we speak, in the way we act. Um, in summary, so Paul's instructions aim, guide the Thessalonians living out their faith and being positive witness to the world around them. And to do this is to ourselves, we first need to surrender our hearts to God, give him permission to transform us, trust him, look to him to build our lives, and in doing so, he'll lead us in his way. He'll help us through the Holy Spirit to draw others to Christ in loving words and deeds.